The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we'll cover the loss against San Jose and then the win against Houston. And then we'll also preview the Copa Tejas final in Frisco. And then I think we're also going to jump into the new uh, salary numbers that came out this week and discuss what we think about some of those. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined as always by, or joined once again by Jeremiah Bentley. We 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 missed you last week, buddy. Hey, everybody. I'm I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and you guys did a great job. And I uh, kept me uh, entertained throughout my time in the Nashville airport, waiting to fly back to Austin. But wasn't you know, Chris? I, well I missed the conversation. Chris Chris was well behaved. I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know he had it in him. So I'm not sure what to think about that. But yeah, yeah, it was it was a good show. Um, you had some good content to talk about. Uh, but I'm excited to get to get on to what we have to talk about this week. But how is um, how is Nashville? Yeah, Nashville. So I'd never been to Nashville before, and I think it was everything that I expected it to be. Like it's a really fun town. Um, the, I think the thing that was the most surprising that I saw was these the like double decker party buses, where like the top deck is open and there are drunk people dancing on top of the bus, <laughs> which seems really fun, but. Maybe really, really unsafe. Like as, a, as, a, as an insurance guy, I kind of had to cringe and look away every time. But I mean, it was a great trip. You you went earlier in the year, right? Did you go to Nashville? No, I I didn't go to that game. Oh, you went to Minnesota. That's right. Yeah, I've never been to Nashville. Well, it's a, it's a good town, um, and I think it would be great to go back. And one other thing that we saw was that Buffalo Bills were playing um, on Monday night in town, and the Buffalo Bills have this like really uh, well known traveling contingent, which they call the Bills Mafia, and they were thousands and thousands <laughs> of buffalo fans just drunk and hanging out everywhere and they seem like they know how to party i sort of i felt a kindred spirit in terms of being an austin fc fan and seeing that kind of travel crew but also like if you live in buffalo you know getting out and going somewhere <laughs> would be pretty great too which is the other thing i thought so i was wondering so do you have like a dream road trip you know if we think as we look to 2022 now that we're almost done with 21 and there's i think we've got frisco and portland away like is there a place that you want to go and see and experience and yeah, one that I was really hoping to make work this year and I'm not going to is Portland. Like we might still be able to swing it last minute, but there's just a lot of other stuff going on. I don't think it's it's going to work. But then I think most of the other ones were Eastern Conference teams and I think Atlanta is one of them. Um yeah, I, don't, I think maybe Atlanta might be my number one Eastern Conference one. So is it, you think that's because like because of the soccer or because it's a place you want to see? Or is it the combination of both? I think a combination of the two. Like it would be a fun soccer atmosphere to see. And also I'm interested in visiting the city of Atlanta because I mean like New York, I, I would love to just go visit New York, but I've been to a game at Yankee stadium and like it was fine, but I'm not itching to go back to that really. And then Red Bulls, like the stadium's really nice, but usually the atmosphere there isn't that great. And it's, kind of in a crap part of New Jersey. So um yeah, are are there any other east east uh eastern conference ones that you'd be interested in seeing? Well, I was thinking about this. So I think Philadelphia would be good, right? Cuz oh, I, I think I didn't enjoy I that, it, yeah. I've never been to Philadelphia. It's a historic city and I guess they've got they they got a pretty decent stadium situation even with, even though it's not in the city. And then um Charlotte is an new team would be an interesting play well, well they don't they don't start next year do they though they start in 23 uh, yeah they'll start in 23 yeah so that, that would be another one like i've never been to north carolina and no, i would wait. like to see them 
Is that right? I think before or after St. Louis. That's what I can't remember. Charlotte is starting in 22. They were okay. supposed to start with us, and they bumped back a year. Okay, then St. Louis is 23, which I think will be a, a trip that everybody wants to see. Why is there is why do you think everyone will want to go to St. Louis? I think there's just I think there's a lot of excitement around St. Louis. You know, they've they St. Louis is they broke our record for season tickets sold. St. Louis has this sort of home of soccer thing. So I think I think it's kind of a neat town, but I think that's one where the soccer maybe overwhelm is more important than the city. Is that I think it it will be significant to see what they do. And I'm really interested to see like the culture that they build and the stadium and everything that they will have going on. Yeah, that's true. Some of these, these, um, since we hadn't had like, when was the last expansion team before us? It was Nashville and uh, Miami. Nashville and Miami. So like, I mean, and they, yeah, so they kind of had the pandemic and that kind of ruined all the, the fanfare that would have been around them. But yeah, it'll be exciting to see, of like some new markets coming in over the next couple of years that look like they will have a really strong uh, fan base, which yeah, it, it'll it'll just make the league more exciting than than it already is uh, in these last few years. So uh, I guess I guess we have to move on to talking about the San Jose game, Jeremiah. Yeah, let's let's turn the clock all the way back to 2021. Uh, to just just a few days ago, uh, a bleak few days ago, but yeah, let's talk about the. Uh, nil four loss against San Jose. Another candidate for worst loss of the year. Does this one win that that title for you? For me, it's either this one or the three nil loss in Houston against the Dynamo, and partly because I saw that in person and expected a lot more out of it. How about you? Yeah, the Houston one was my winner before. Um, this one. I mean, these are the two games that have upset me the most for sure. And like, I think as a game and like the overall effort, this one was way worse. Um, but it was a game that maybe mattered less. And that's the only reason I would maybe not put it above the Houston one. But I think I probably still do give it the title of of worst, worst game of the year. Yeah, and I think we'll get into the way the way we played or the way we didn't play in the second half that really sort of solidified that as a unique performance. Yeah. So, okay. So there's a lot of talk coming into another three week game. What would Wolf do with his rotations? And he, I, I feel like he's hinted at what he's going to do in his press conferences before. Right. And maybe we didn't take him serious enough when he said he was going to rotate in uh, past ones. And this one, he talked, he was talking about how the games were a bit more spread out. It was, Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday, as opposed to Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday. And so he said like, yeah, we'll have to do a little bit, but not near as much as we have in the past. And he uh, he ended up playing pretty much what you could argue is our strongest lineup. One thing leading up to that, I think it was in a uh, Chris Bills preview for this game. And he like asked if, if, um, was essentially essentially asking that same question. How is he going to rotate? And will he rotate away so he can play his strongest lineup against Houston? Or will he play the strongest lineup here and potentially have to sit somebody against Houston? And my my thinking in that moment was, I bet people are going to be angry no matter what he does. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, it seemed, 
I don't I didn't see a ton of criticism based on rotation or substitutions in these games though. No, either one. I think I, I think people were mostly pleasantly surprised. Um and to your to what you said, like he 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 told us a little bit about what to expect and then you know when we had Dave Tenney on, Dave Tenney talked a lot about uh needing three full days of rest to really recover and that was because of the extra day on both ends. That's something we got. So I didn't find it that surprising. And then the spots where we rotated later in the week or honestly, the spots where we have the depth to do it, where we're not playing emergency players. I mean, that I think that was as good as we could expect out of the lineup, which I think probably gave us as much hope as possible from a midweek game away. And uh, those hopes were crushed very, very deeply. So uh, stats wise, San Jose beat us in possession 55 to 45, which uh, we've rarely been beaten in possession. The expected goals was 2.49 to 0.73. Shots was 20 to 15. Shots on target was 9 to 5. But uh, you found this stat that seven of our 15 shots came from outside the box. And so uh, quite a few of them were pretty hopeful, hopeful balls that uh, didn't really worry uh, San Jose at all. Yeah, I think I think, you know, some of them ended up being blocked, but it was we did not have many threatening chances at all on the night. And we can go through kind of quickly sort of the, the scoring, yeah. the scoring and uh, other opportunities that we had. Yeah. First half, uh, San Jose was actually giving us quite a bit of space early in the game. And I feel like if we had been playing well and kind of taking advantages of a few chances, we could have scored early and maybe changed that game a little bit. But um just didn't look very sharp at all in that first half in the second half san jose comes out and scores their first goal in the 47th minute uh it was an infuriating mistake by julio cascante uh that led to this goal so um i think it was san jose cleared the ball up the line cascante is running towards the the sideline to pick it up and just like is very careless with it and the San Jose player just kind of runs around him and takes the ball off of him. Like he, I don't know what he was doing. He's acting like nobody was there, but, um, they drive into the box, uh, ring recovers and slides in to block a pass to Ibobasi, but it deflects, uh, to the backside where nobody was. So is a little bit unlucky with that deflection and falls to Chofis and he slots it in for the goal. I also think that whenever Ring blocked that pass, that it bounced off of Kolmanich's hand. And so if they hadn't scored, they probably would have reviewed it and given them a penalty. And so the mistake by uh, by Cascante is completely unexcusable. But watching that goal back, the rest of what happened, uh, I feel like was a little bit being unlucky. Not entirely. There's still things they could have done to fix it. But um yeah, it was definitely definitely started off by by just the careless play by Cascante there. Yeah, and then we didn't have to wait very long. And this is probably think about this game. This is probably the worst fifteen minutes of soccer. I don't I don't I don't even know if, you, if we need to say probably like this was definitely I the mean, worst fifteen you, minutes of soccer we've seen him play all year. If you cut it down to ten minutes, maybe you could say against Dallas because wasn't it like ten or eleven minutes that they scored three? Oh, on us? right, right, right. They did. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so second goal comes in the 53rd minute. Um, there's a long ball to Ibovisi in transition. 
Driussi challenges him, but it obviously kind of shakes him off. And the ball, as he's being challenged, the ball bounces over his head. And so he kind of misses the ball. Uh, he runs and gets another touch onto the ball as Kolmanich challenges him. Ibovici falls down whenever Kolmanich challenges him. And it was hard to tell. I couldn't tell if Jean just kind of fell or if Ibovici pulled him down. But either way, Ibovici's touch pushes it out into space. Uh, Kikanovic picks it up. He's one-on-one with Stuver, slots it in for 2-0. Um, what did you think about that? that Kolmanich play. Do you, do you remember it clear enough to, to know what I'm talking about? I, I don't, I remember not being offended by it. Like I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with it. They don't call those fouls that they don't I, call those fouls on plays like that for sure. I am too. And on the rewatch, I am too. And in the moment I kind of thought the way that Kolmanich went down, it looks like it obviously had his arm and pulled him down with him, but watching it from a different angle and you don't ever get a really close angle of it. But I think, that he kind of made Ibovici fall and then Ibovici kind of tripped him as he was going. So I think it was fair. And just the way his arm kind of went down to catch himself, it looked like Ibovici pulled him, but I don't think he did. Um, I think that, yeah, uh, Drew C and then Colmanich probably should have both done a little bit better to, to challenge or at least stay, uh, stay on their feet so they could keep running and, and challenge that last shot. Uh, third one comes. In the 59th minute, Chris Wondolowski subs on in the second half. Uh, there's, yeah, Nick Lima brought blocks across into Ibovici. The ball falls to Chris Wondolowski and he just buries it because that's what Chris Wondolowski does. And uh, Alex Ring and Rodney Redes were on opposing sides of, of Chris Wondolowski. Not super close, but neither of them were like sprinting in the moments before and they both saw him there and... For some reason, neither of them seemed very worried about uh, marking up on the all-time leading goal scorer in MLS, and and he shows why he is that person because if he gets that that chance, he's going to finish it every time. Yeah, and this is his game now. I mean, this is this is what he he's yeah <laughs> no he's this is what he has left. And for me, this is the most frustrating of the goals, and I think maybe for you, the other one was was more so. But this is the one where. I just felt like we just weren't even trying. Like they just weren't even putting in any effort. And that's, you know, Redis, we did sub at halftime, which I thought was going to give us a little bit more of attack, right? Because Redis comes on and... Um, Redis and McKenzie and Gaines, Gaines came on. Came, yeah. came on for Dominguez and Drusi, which also gave me hope that we we're going to get a lot of Dominguez and Drusi on the weekend. But man, yeah, Rodney did not. He still looks like a guy kind of running around lost out there. And this was just another example of that. Yeah. Um, last one came in the 85th minute. Carlos Fierro scored a goal. It was from a corner. Watching back, if you watch the defensive line in front of Stuver there, don't move at all. Don't move their feet until the ball is like almost arrived. And then a couple of people half-heartedly challenge for the ball as Fierro goes up, but he wins it easily, puts it past Stuver. I felt really bad for Brad Stuver in this game because he was trying uh, and they weren't, really doing much to stop those shots from being peppered in a lot of the time. So uh, I, I imagine it was frustrating to be the keeper for Austin FC that day. Yeah. Yeah. He had a long night in, in many ways. And so, yeah, luckily it kind of came to an end. Um, I think you said you, you finally, it's the first time that you weren't even 
super yeah, into, I, into it by the end of the match. I kind of stopped paying attention. I don't remember what minute it was, but it was before the last goal. But after 3-0, I was just like, I don't – why am I watching this? Like in every other loss during the whole season, I've always thought like, okay, there, there's something to be learned from this or at the very least, like I need to talk about this on the podcast, so I need to pay attention right now. And in this one, I'm like, there's nothing to talk about here. They're not trying. They're not working hard. They're playing like crap. Like, so why should I pay attention to this? Like, we don't need to cover like players not trying hard in detail on the podcast. So yeah, probably the last 15 minutes or so, I was playing a game on my phone and just kind of watching it in the background. (laughs) Kind of had it on. Yeah. I was waiting for the post-game press conference, which I don't always call in on, but I did want to call in on in here and it, it turned out to be a very exciting one to, to listen to live one, but huh? <laughs> yeah so before i you know we <laughs> you have this bit here where we talk about player notes and we kind of just agreed that everybody kind of stunk and there's really no need to specifically break down into great detail many of the performances but do you want to talk about uh drew a little bit yeah i i think he for the first time we saw him not look very sharp there was quite a few chances that fell to him where he could should have at least gotten a shot on goal and he scuffed it or made a bad pass and so i think it was just the first time that we've seen him not look sharp which i think was notable you know we we did the wolf him wolf out thing a couple weeks ago and i'd been like unless the wheels just completely come off of this you know we have the disaster finish everybody quits like Josh Wolf is in good shape, and it after the San Jose game, I was that was the moment where I was like, or maybe, like maybe this will yeah. happen, you know, maybe, maybe things are just going to go all into the toilet, and you know we're not going to win a game all year, and this really will lead to Josh getting fired after the end of the first season. And I hadn't that thought had not really seriously entered my head before the San Jose match. Yeah, exactly the same for me. There are a few press releases that come out, and like most of the time, those press releases are on a pretty fixed schedule. Like we know, like the day of a game, the day before a game, we'll get certain things coming through. And there's a few kind of random ones came through this week and I would just see it pop into my inbox, like a press release from Austin FC. And I'd be like, for a half a second, I was like, Oh my God, did they fire Wolf? <laughs> it ended up being like, they gave Brad Stuver a, a, an award and then something else happened. But like, I had never had that thought before all season that a press release was going to be Josh Wolf getting fired. And I kind of thought it might be the next day. Yeah. So let's talk about the post game press conference. So I think Chris Bills was the first. Well, oh, this is good. Like we get the, okay, we've got Coach Wolf for 15 minutes. And I think it ended up being eight um, <laughs> with, the, with the way it went. Um, so Bills asked kind of a, you know, it's a Chris Bills question. I don't remember exactly what it was. It was something about, about the performance that night. And then, you know, Eric Goodman, who seems like one of the sweetest people that I've ever met that we've interviewed before, um, asked Josh Wolf if the uh, if the team had quit. Um, and Josh kind of stumbled and then told him it was a bullshit question. Um, how did you feel about that response? Or yeah, how did so, you, you feel about the question? I guess, do you think that's a bullshit question? So I, I didn't watch it live. I was still too upset to tune in afterwards. I was like, I'll catch it tomorrow. Uh and so I read it all first and I was like, okay, I'm interested to hear what this question was. But like, we've, we've been in enough press calls with Eric and we had him on the show. Like we're not like great friends with him or anything, but we've been around him and know enough kind of to know what his style is. And he does like, Eric does ask like pretty pointed questions sometimes, but I think they're always fair questions. 
And so I was curious to see like how he said it, what the wording of it was. And I didn't think it was an unfair question at all. I think he could have worded it in a way that would have been an unfair question if he'd have said like, well, Josh, it's, it's absolutely clear that your team quit. Like he didn't say it that way. He said, he asked like, did the team quit? And after that performance, like, I think that's an absolutely fair question. And I think Josh Wolf was uh, probably just feeling very defensive about things and absolutely overreacted to it. Yeah, and if you ask me as random podcast guy, like it sure looked to me like they quit. And I know you I know you yeah. don't say that, but there's yeah, there's another way to answer that question. Yeah, he could he can deflect and way. protect yeah. his players without without having to like snap back at a reporter doing his job essentially. And then he kind of he kind of followed up on it. I guess Josh still seems defensive about it, right? Because there was another was it the Phil West interview? Somebody yeah. interviewed him later this week. And yeah, he, it was he Phil. sort of doubled down on it. Yeah, and I like I read that and was like, okay, maybe I'll check some stuff out in this rewatch. And so watching, I watched the like I didn't have time to watch both games, and so of course I chose to rewatch the whole Houston game <laughs> and just did the MLS in fifteen like the fifteen minute highlights for the San Jose game. And after the first two goals, I was like, maybe he's right. Like maybe these weren't so bad because the first one, like like I said, the Cascante mistake was bad. But after that, it was a little bit of bad luck. And then by the time I got to the third one, I was like, never mind. They absolutely gave up. <laughs> yeah. So do you feel like that's enough San Jose talk? Is yeah. there anything else we need to cover, cover um, on that? Let's see. No, I think we can stop there. We don't need to cover it anymore. It was terrible. And we are all praying that that wasn't going to continue on for the rest of the season. Uh, so, yeah, on Sunday... We leading up to this Houston game, we all knew that uh, winning this game and beating Dallas will lead to Austin FC lifting Copa Tejas. Uh, so we were hoping to play a, play a strong lineup. That's what we got. We got essentially uh, almost the exact same lineup, but you replace Hector Jimenez. Uh, sorry, replace John Colmanish with Hector Jimenez. Replace Pochettino with Danny Pereira. Uh, and I think those are mostly rotation things, right? Like both of those guys played a lot of minutes in those earlier two games. So rotate them out. And like you said before, those are positions where we have players to rotate. So it's not a big deal to, to switch those guys out. Um, and then the second question was, how are we going to play? Like, are we going to play well in this game after that garbage outing versus San Jose? And we actually did get a pretty good, pretty good outing. So um, stats wise, did Houston really beat us in possession? Yeah, Houston did, but I think it was, we were, we were leading throughout most of the, of the, most of the game. And then yes. when it got late, we were, we were letting them, that was one of those where we were letting them have the ball, um, like for the last 30 minutes or so and, uh, playing defensively. And so I think at halftime we led in possession. And then by the time the game ended, Houston was ahead. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at, at who scored right now. And that's exactly right. We're we're just ahead for most of the game until about the 70th minute, and then it swung the other way. And then, yeah, uh, expected goals, 1.92 to 0.79 in favor of Austin. Shots, 19 to 15 in favor of Austin. Shots on target, 8 to 6 in favor of Austin. Uh, and then you found this, that 13 of 19 shots inside the box for Austin. So, again, we shoot inside the box, we score goals, and we win. 
Yeah, and this is, of course, this is the first game I, I think where the was it two two of the three is it two of the three goals are going to end up being own goals as yeah, we, that's as we true. walk through this, <laughs> which I don't know how that affects those stats because like. I don't know if that's like we had eight shots on target, but uh, half our goals were not were not off of that. Ashley Ashley had a, a suggestion for the title of this show, and it was like kind of like a BuzzFeed article type thing. It was Austin FC scored two goals, but it's not the two you think. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so starting with the first one that uh, you wouldn't expect is seventh minute, uh, Cecilio Dominguez. Uh, I think uh, Houston kind of mishits a clearance and Cecilio picks it up, drives into the box and kind of taps the ball behind him is going to cut back and cut in on his right foot. And as he does that, Zarek Valentin takes his leg out and goes down clear penalty in the, in that moment. It was so early. There were still people finding their way to their seats and our seats are right beside the stairwell. And this guy steps out holding a big beer and a big thing of nachos. And he just looks at me and says, what happened? I said, penalty. They fouled Cecilio. And he said, did they actually foul him? <laughs> That's what my son asked, too. And that was legit. Even, like, on the re- I was like, expecting to see him make like a meal out of it. But like, on the no, replay, it was, it's like, no, it was absolutely a foul. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, the only question in the, for, for me in the moment was, was it inside the box or not? And on the replay, again, it was a full yard and a half inside the box, too. So... Uh, yeah, clear penalty in seventh minute. Uh, Cecilio ends up taking it, which I don't know if I like that decision. But thinking, looking back now, um, Wolf said in the press game, in the post game press conference, that they have like a hierarchy of guys set, and if the first guy isn't good to take it, then they'll pass it on. Which making me think that, like. Maybe do you think maybe Drew C was supposed to take it and he gave it to Cecilio? And it, you think maybe so? I mean, that's a possibility. I didn't. I, I just feel like it's a that. weird thing for Wolf to bring up if that's not the case. If that's not true, okay, yeah, I can believe that. I, I'll uh, yeah. that one. Who knows? I would much rather have Drew C taking those, but anyway, uh, Cecilio takes it, plays it on the ground to the left, hits one post, goes all the way across, hits the other post. And in the moment, I thought it just had a weird spin on it and bounced in. But on the replay, it was very clear to see that it bounced off Marco Marich, the goalkeeper, and goes in uh, for the first goal. Uh, Cecilio didn't care, celebrates like it was his own anyway. 1-0 yeah. Austin. <laughs> so does that count as a PK miss and an own goal? I think officially? it has to because like, I think if... Yeah, I mean, if it's not a goal for Cecilio, then he missed the PK, right? Fair, like, yeah. I think statistically it has to go down as a miss. And then the other thing is, what do you think about his haircut? Oh, uh, upon review, I like it better than I thought I would, but I just know what it could be. (laughs) And we still never got like the hair and flowing in its full glory. Like he would wear it in Paraguay sometimes. And so I'm a little disappointed that we never got to see that, but I think it looks okay. Yeah. I like, I like it better than I like it better than what he's had generally been sporting this year i feel like it's sort of a it's a little bit of a poor man's julio cascante cut though in a way don't you think yeah and i feel shaved like on the sides like, and long on the top you know kind of that same way i feel like if you would have gone like leaned more julio it would look better on him but it's it's his hair he can do what he wants with it <laughs> he can okay and it worked out for him today or uh <laughs> yesterday uh second goal was from uh sebastian Giussi. so cecilia gets the ball in transition finds ring at the top of the box uh ring is trying to 
like turn and almost loses the ball. One of the Houston players gets a foot to it, but he recovers, uh, kind of does a little spin move at the top of the box, finds Drewusi uh, about the center of the top of the box, and he he finishes it to the like the left post. Did this shot look like he hit it kind of soft to you? No, it did not to me. I've, I mean, I've watched okay. it twice. It looked like a good shot. I was what I was surprised by. I thought we were going to run out of time because there were what there was supposed to be three minutes of added time, and this was it. This is like the fourth minute. When this, uh, like, yeah, forty five plus four. I yeah. think. Yeah, so I I thought we were going to run out of time, and thank God we didn't with what happened in the second half. But no, I thought it was a good. I thought it was intentionally hit that way. Do you think he kind of accidentally played his way into that? No, I didn't think it was accidental. I just like was surprised nobody stopped it but um because he didn't like drill it and it like he didn't hit side net or anything it just kind of like put it to the left side of the goal and went past the keeper but on the replay one thing that I think might have helped him was he receives the ball with his kind of like square to the sideline perpendicular to the goal so like his hips are faced up like he's gonna try to hit it far post um like to the right and I think that little like kind of swivels his hips and plays it to the left post. And I think that's probably why he didn't hit it that hard is because his hips weren't square to the ball there. But I think it's also why Marich didn't get a, a jump on it because he was expecting him to go the other way. The other so way. Uh, I think I think it was if that's right, then it's a very clever move by Drusi there. Um, the second half, not as much action i think it ended up turning in you're talking about possession it ended up turning to austin just kind of trying to kill the game out uh they put in um redes and gains for cecilio and gt later on i think like 65th minute or something like that and it was kind of just like get out there and run a lot and make it annoying for houston to have the ball and that's what they did and killed out most of the game until 90 minutes uh, in two minutes, uh, the second minute of uh, of stoppage time at the end of the game, Julio Cascante scores an own goal. And uh, looking back at this one again, I was like, it was so close to the goal. I, I couldn't fault him too much, but they played a ball in. Lima is running across the goal and clears it. And he did well, like nothing, nobody was going to get on it there. And I didn't know if Cascante played it intentionally because he didn't know if someone was behind him or if he just couldn't get out of the way. And I'm pretty sure it was the latter. Like, I think it was just so close. And we all know that Julio does not change directions quickly. And so it was just so close to him that he tried to move his leg to maybe direct it out to the side. But that's as much as he could do and buried it into the corner. So, yeah, two own goals, but ended up uh, in to the good for Austin, two to one. Yeah, I don't know. I watched that two or three times this afternoon too and thought the same thing because at first I, I was like is he trying to did he think it was not going to get cleared he's trying to flick it out wide or whatever but it was i think you're right i think he just couldn't help help getting out of the way of the ball so before we go into talking about individual players we should probably take a break uh that's a good idea yeah let's let's do a quick break we'll come back talk individual player performances we're also as i mentioned before we're going to get into uh, player salary analysis a little bit, and then we'll also do the FC Dallas preview. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm. 
dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to FVF.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. All right, let's talk about hot sauce. Let's do it. Teardrop Pepper Company hot sauce. It would be weird if we talked about any other hot sauce. <laughs> Honestly. I want to talk about Tabasco. It's <laughs> yeah. very average, but it's a beautiful tour. Like if you ever get the chance to go to, uh, was it New Iberville, uh, Louisiana, and check it out. It's a, it's a beautiful tour, but not great hot sauce. You know who does have great hot sauce? Teardrop Pepper Company. That's right. Teardrop has finally created the perfect recipe right here in Austin, Texas. Their all-natural, award-winning hot sauce has a delicious blend of flavor and heat, enhancing your favorite foods and leaving you wanting more. Whether you like the zesty kick of Golden Habanero or garlicky smoothness of Supreme Serrano, it's the best way to spice up your Austin FC pre-match meals. Teardrop Pepper Company has two unique flavors available, and you can order them from their website, teardroppepperco.com, or from their social media pages. And I did just see them out at... I think it was at Fredericksburg at like the wine and hot sauce festival slinging hot sauce. So hopefully somebody out there listened and got to got to enjoy some Teardrop Pepper Co. hot sauce. Uh, to order off the site, use offer code GOAL, G-O-A-L, to save 10% off your order. Feel free to put it on everything because they'll make more. All right, we are back. And I I don't know if you noticed, Jeremiah, but my voice is very raspy today. And it's because I was yelling too much at the game. Mostly out of excitement, but sometimes out of frustration. But I realized about the 70th minute that I was yelling too much and that I was like, oh, this is Sunday and we have to record a show on Monday. (laughs) And so I need to stop yelling or I'm not going to be able to talk during the podcast. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you doing that uh, in the interest of the podcast. So let's let's start with the guys maybe that you're yelling for in joy (laughs) and not so much in frustration. (laughs) You have a couple of players you want to spotlight? I think it was all a little bit of both. Like, I think it was a bit of yin and yang across the board there that some of the guys who did really well also did some really frustrating things. But uh, yeah, we can just kind of jump through the line. I I mean, Stuver had a good game. I think he was playing it really safe with, uh, with his long balls. I don't know if you noticed that, but there were moments where they weren't covering uh, Lima. I specifically noticed that they weren't pressing uh, Stuver super hard, but we're pressing our center backs and then covering up uh, Danny and Alex in the middle. And we're leaving that kind of chipped pass out to the side. And Stuver opted to go deep almost every time and just launch it long. And most of the time it ended up with Houston getting the ball. But um, I think that he just knew that with Iruti and Pico and Quintero out there, that if they get a turnover in a spot like that, that it's almost definitely going to end up in a really dangerous shot. Yeah, and especially especially with our center backs and our speed. So do you think that that's... Um, does that change the way people play against us? I mean, do you feel like that can loosen up other people to not press, to not high press as much as if, if he mixes it up a little bit um, in those situations? Yeah, I mean, even if it doesn't, we just change what we do. Like, yeah, that's... I think it does. Like if, if they know we're going to do that every time and like play out of the back, no matter what, they're probably going to press even harder. You're right. But yeah, I think, uh, mixing it up a little maybe makes them question what they're going to do and maybe not go all in on the pressing. Um, but also if they do do that, we have a plan B to just say like, okay, never mind. We're going to kick it long, which is great. And I think 
still working to find that middle ground sometimes, but it's uh, much less nerve wracking than it was earlier on in the season. Yeah, that even go back to that first. That was the most maddening thing about when we played in Houston and got blown out in the other first. Um, the other worst match of the year was San Jose, right? I mean, they pressed high and we just played the ball into their feet and were in trouble from the from the get. If I remember right, on that one. Yeah, and so speaking of pressing, I think that's something that I I mentioned this on the last show that. Austin's defense has looked a lot better when we're not pressing all out all the time and picking our moments, but for the most part, sitting deeper in that four, four, two mid block. that's what we did against Houston. And for the most part, it looked really defensively sound. Um, the defenders, I thought for the most part, looked really good. Uh, Johan Romagna is starting to impose himself on games at times. And that's what a dominant center back can do and he's not doing it all the time and he's still got a lot of a lot of room to grow and and makes mistakes still but just in the last handful of games uh he's had several really big performances and has looked uh just looked really really good sometimes so i was i was really happy with his performance made some really big plays um i thought communication was really good among the defenders in this game there was a few moments where and this is the kind of stuff you don't see on TV, which I've like loved being in the stadium for all these games to watch these. But uh, tracking Quintero, we knew Quintero was going to be really dangerous. And there was moments where he was kind of floating in between the center back and the fullback or floating in between the midfielder and the center back. And they were all talking to each other really well. And there was one specific moment where I noticed Hector Jimenez, he saw a guy coming up the wing. I think it might have been... Uh, Dorsey coming up the wing and he told uh Johan he's like you got to take Quintero here and he stepped out uh Hector stepped out to to pressure the ball on the wing and Johan seamlessly like passes himself over to Quintero they play the ball into Quintero and he fights around and wins the ball and so these are moments where kind of those off ball things awareness plays that Johan has failed to make a lot of times and I feel like he did a lot of those things really well to, uh, on in that game against Houston. So that that really impressed me. Um, I thought Cascante, for the most part, also had a pretty good game. There's two almost really bad mistakes that ended up getting cleaned up, but he also made some pretty important last minute last minute tackles that that stopped some pretty dangerous moments. Yeah, I thought, that, I thought both of them did a really good job of sort of playing within their own limitations, right? Learn, like knowing what they can do and can't do and like using um you like using angles and space to uh to make the best of to, that they could. And Josh in the post game talked a lot about the back line to your point just as a unit, right? Right right? He talked about how all the way that they work together. And they and, looked like and, a unit. Yeah, they, which like they unit. don't always. Yeah, and he talked he said talked about Lima being a monster and he talked about uh you know the same the same about Jimenez and just yeah, the way that they all work together was something that we have not seen a ton of. Um, so do you think there's a language thing there? I mean, are they all um, Spanish yeah. speakers? Is that helpful? I don't know if, if Lima actually speaks Spanish, but he was on Julio's side, which Julio speaks yeah. English. But yeah, having having Hector on Johan's side might actually help some. That's I didn't think about that, but that's a good point. Who else? Well, let's let's stay defensive. I mean, Danny Pereira played at the six and had a strong performance too. Yeah, and I 
I, I mean, he did he did what Danny Pereira is good at doing, which is carrying the ball, holding the ball, moving the ball in pressure, and kind of wiggling his way out of tight spaces to create space. He did all that stuff really well. Um, defensively, he was pretty good, like not amazing, but did a job, like did good enough. And I don't know if I'm still convinced that Danny Pereira is ever going to be an amazing lone six. I think it requires having warriors playing in front of or next to him. And in Ring and Juicy, you have that. Some guys who are going to do some of that work for him or at least supplement the work he's doing. Um, but in this setup, he looked really, really good. And yeah, I, I think it's another growth moment that that he can do it, do it going both ways. And there was, I think there was one moment where we're playing out of the back and Stuver plays the ball to him and he just turns really casually blindly into space and Quintero is there and he never sees him, picks his pocket. He ends up having to pull him down at the edge of the box, gets a yellow card and they get a free kick in a really dangerous area. So uh, that was one bad moment from him. Uh, I think he could still be a little bit cleaner in like final passes and things like that. But overall, great performance from Denny. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to go back to one of the notes you made on Stuver that we left. So you wrote Gibbs oh. great hugs. I, I don't. I yeah. Mean, like we we write a lot of things in the notes and the outlines that we don't write. We don't cover. We always write that you know more <laughs> than we know we're going to be able to do. But I feel like giving great hugs is something that we should never let pass. Yeah, so every time a defender makes a really big play, uh, Johan made a few like lunging tackles and blocks and things like that throughout the game. And every time something like that happens, Stuver is always the first to get to that defender and give him a big hug. And A, it's just really like, it's like cute and I like watching it happen. But also I think it's like a good, like either a good sign of of like the team working for each other or uh, good team building on Stuver's part and just showing like, yeah, we're in this together, like, and just showing those those moments of solidarity, which I, I think is really nice. <laughs> I love it, man. But um, I also want a hug from Brad Stewart. <laughs> yeah, well, you're and you're right. He does look like he's a he's really good at it. Um, Alex Ring, MLS Team of the Week player. Were you surprised yeah, by that? I was a little bit. Uh, not to say that he played poorly. It was just. Like, I didn't think he was so good that he was going to be on the team of the week. Watching the game back and looking at his stats, he did have a really good match. Um, but yeah, the team of the week thing is always weird to me. Like, I don't know if they felt like they needed to give it to an Austin player and he was like the most all around performance, but I, I really don't know. Well, I don't know. You know, team of the week, I feel like often ends up being like somebody had one really good game. Right, because because that San Jose game was a disaster for many people, including Alex Ring. So I don't know, like, does one good Houston match make up for that? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. But yeah, I was very surprised to see him on that, and because he's had a lot of weeks like that. He's a lot of, had a lot of games like that, right? And and yeah. we talk about that. You know, that's sort of your base expectation for Alex Ring is doing the kinds of things that he did um, against Houston on Sunday. But good for him. Yeah, I mean, that being said, I feel like this was like peak Alex Ring. Like maybe not, he didn't play out of his mind or anything, but he did all of the things you want Alex Ring to do and did them pretty well. Like had uh, stats-wise, he had an assist, three clearances, two interceptions, and two tackles. 
And so was doing defensive work, was in good spaces defensively, and also had some really good creative moments moving forward with him combining with uh, with Drewsi and with Cecilio and, and little moments like that. So overall, I think it was a really a really good performance. Also almost scored a goal in the 53rd minute with a, a cross to the backside, and he kind of did like a little cushioned header towards the back post, and Marich did really well to dive and save it. And I hate to keep going backwards, but on Pereira... So he did get a, I just want to talk about the yellow card. So he got his five game, he got his five yellow cards to get the game suspension and then it resets, right? So uh, is, he, is he on one again now? Because he's pretty good at picking up yellow cards at this point. Yeah, I, I don't remember if it resets or if they like start counting to 10 at this point. But okay. there is like another milestone that he'll have to cross before he gets another suspension. And... It would be impressive if he got there by the end of the yeah. season. <laughs> yeah, there's there's only a couple games left, but I just got to thinking about it. It's like, oh, maybe he's going to get a yellow card suspension, and then I remember that he just got off a yellow card suspension, so he's he's starting a fresh streak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, who else? Uh, Juicy, uh, solid day. Like nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. Was there any any moments worth highlighting there? No, I'm just happy he scored the goal. I mean, it's a very Drewsy goal. Um, I think what he what is he up to five now? And I think that's right. Games, yeah. I think so. He's scoring at a strong pace. Um, had had some other like pretty good uh, shots during the game as well. So again, yeah, just solid overall. Defended well, moved well, was good in pressing. He's he's Sebastian Drewsy. He just does what he does. <laughs> he does. He's just we we talk about this a lot, but it's like he's playing a different game. I mean, he's smoother he he's faster than everybody he doesn't look like he's working that hard like he's got such football smarts like we i just think like looking at his base numbers when he was at senate st pete you know like whoever scouted whoever recruited him and made him like the guy to be our third dp and highest paid player clearly made a good decision because i don't i don't know if there were like he didn't have eye-popping numbers coming no. in but clearly watching him play he's very very good and adds a lot to the team beyond just what he what he does but he makes everybody around him better yeah uh another guy who hasn't gotten eye-popping numbers for us yet but is making a difference is musajite so uh again maybe not as involved as we would like for him to be in like direct moments but had some really good hold-up play uh forces defenders to pay attention to him uh in in the tv broadcast Lori Lindsay pointed out in the goal uh in juicy's goal that GT makes a little run and kind of drags a defender over with him that opens up that that left post for Drewsy to put the goal into. So uh, I knew Matt Doyle in an article was kind of criticizing some of GT's movement. And so I imagine there is still some some growth he needs to do as far as learning when to make a run, when to not make a run, when to drop in. But uh it's still changing this team for the better, and I imagine we'll continue to to get better at a lot of these things. Um, one other player that we need to mention because he got a yellow card but did not touch the field is John Kolmanich. Did you see what happened? Because no, no, I don't I have no idea. I have a a hunch. I don't I didn't get this confirmed, but on the TV broadcast, all you see is the ref running over there and shows Coleman it's a yellow card and Coleman's just like, what, <laughs> what did I do? But in the moment, like in the stadium, you could see that there was a second ball on the field 
And uh, I think Kolmanich, was, who was over there warming up, kicked the ball out on the field to slow the game down. Oh, no. Oh, I love it. <laughs> like intentionally kicked it out there. And so there are two balls on the field. They had to wait for it. And I, I guess one of the officials saw it and they gave him a yellow for it. But uh, I didn't I didn't know Slovenia was in in CONCACAF. <laughs> that he's he's been living in Texas already and he's learning the tricks of the trade. Yeah, I love it. He is learning it. He, yeah, that's good. So um, so this has suddenly become our best six match stretch of the year which I had to go back and look at again. So we've got nine points out of the last six with three wins and three losses after Houston. So do you, do you feel like, I mean, first of all, is that surprising? Like I feel like the general fan sentiment is not that we are playing our best soccer all year long right now. I mean, yeah. And it's like consecutive games. We are not playing our best soccer <laughs> right. all year, but in that stretch. Yeah. You told me that, yesterday after the game and i was like whoa that's crazy but yeah it's it's kind of weird but if you think back there have been some of our highest moments have been in this six game stretch also some of the lowest ones but <laughs> right i think we can take the high ones and try to build off of those because yeah the rsl game is another one that i look back to that was in this stretch that was just a really solid overall performance and a lot of the players that we need to play well to do well did yeah, and that Galaxy the, the, was the other win, right? The Galaxy match yeah. was one of the most solid games we played all year long. Um, and that was part of this, too. So do you think this is just... I mean, is it luck? Is it the fact that we... I mean, I'm kind of seeding the answer here. But, you know, it's like having Drew Yusey and GTN and finally... And, and Mackenzie Gaines, too. Like, truthfully, like having some options in terms of, like, skill. Um, or is it something else that have led us to sort of not being bad over the last month. I think the vast majority of it is, is Drew C and GT um, filling in gaps, having a real center forward, letting Cecilio play in his real position because in our, I believe it was, it was RSL that he played so well. And then uh, we didn't really talk about him much here, but he had a really solid game uh, both offensively and defensively. He still did a few things that, annoy me and that I don't quite agree with, but, um, namely slowing down play when we're in transition transition for no apparent reason, but, uh, had some really dangerous creative sparks at moments and played really well. So I think that's helped a lot having him in his strongest position. And then, yeah, I really do think that's, that's most of it right there. And then also, I think a lot of it is, is, uh, Josh Wolf being a bit more pragmatic defensively and sitting a little bit deeper and all of those things kind of coming together to, to not make us consistently good, but to have a few really strong performances at least. So let's talk about how we can make this a really strong finish of the season and preview the FC Dallas uh, match a little bit here. So, for those of you who don't know, uh, the first three teams eliminated from the playoffs were the three teams from Texas, <laughs> uh, which currently sit 11th, 12th, and 13th in the table. Um, but because there's still this trophy on the line, um, if we beat Dallas uh, on Saturday, uh, we will win Copa de Haas, which is kind of the only thing that both sets of fans have left. So how do, how do you feel about this trophy? Are you interested in it? Yeah, I'm. now that we can win it, it's it's huge. It's very it's important. A, the biggest. It's the biggest trophy in all of world yeah. soccer. 
of no, course. No, but but, it's, but seriously, like none of none of the Texas teams can make the playoffs. This is the only thing that fans are really going to have. It's like we're fighting for Copa Teos and not being last place in the West, and those two things are are <laughs> directly tied together. Linked. Yeah, you have to do one to do the other, pretty much at this point. So. Uh, yeah, that's huge. And then talking about the the table, I believe with the win on Saturday, we will be ahead of both Houston and Dallas. Uh, Houston will play the next day, but they're a game ahead of us as far as match weeks go. And so we'll all be square on games at 32 after we play the Dallas game on Saturday. And so if we win it, we'll be ahead of them with an even amount of games as all three teams. So it's it's big for several reasons, but I I do think the the Copa Tejas thing matters because of Austin being the kind of the new kids in town. I think it's it's a bit of a statement if we win it. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. Um, and I guess so. There's just a lot of folks that were on the fence. I mean, there's going to be a good group that travels up, but a lot of I would say a lot of us because I will throw myself in this. We're like kind of on the fence on seeing you know, how the Houston game turned out before making the commitment to go up to Frisco. But you can still, we'll put this in the show notes, um, but you can still get tickets uh, to go up there and check that out on Saturday. And I believe at this moment we're planning on doing that. And let's talk about Dallas's form so we can talk about what to expect. So you 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 look this up. They're not not playing well. Yeah, so they their last win was actually against Austin. Uh, I think it was... 10 games ago. So since then they've had five losses and four draws. They also are playing midweek against RSL. So they're going to be on a shorter week than us. Uh, Ricardo Pepe was out for a few games with a foot injury. He seems to be fit now. So we'll likely see him. Uh, Frank O'Hara has actually scored a few goals in the last few games, but um, I imagine if both options are fit, they're going to play Pepe if they can. So, um, I think as far as us winning this, we'll just need to to play a disciplined game. I think that's what we lacked in the last game against them. That's what we lacked in the last game against Houston. Uh, so I think if we fight, which I think the players, they'll be rested. I think they'll be up for this. I think they and Wolf understand that it matters to the fans at this point. And so... Uh, I, I I think the energy should be there, and if they're able to maintain discipline and play their game, we should. I think we should beat FC Dallas. So in the post game press conferences, I feel like Danny Pereira definitely spoke on behalf of the players caring about it. But do you think Josh Wolf cares about Copa Tejas? Because like I did not get that idea from yeah. I from think what I saw. He- at the very least, understands that he's supposed to care about it. <laughs> that's, but, that's what I got. Yeah. Because he's but, like, I mean, every every game's important. And then he kind of like caught himself and went on to talking about Copa Tejas. I think what he, whenever he's doing that, the the way I'm reading it is that he doesn't want to get caught saying another game is not important. Does that make sense? Like to say like the Kansas City game isn't important or like, I don't know, like, I think that's what he's going for, but it's still, he should maybe lean a bit the other way and say like, yes, this game is absolutely important. <laughs> yeah, I know. I get it. I think it's like what sucker robot Josh like wants to like, because why, because why would you talk about not caring about any game? But like, I feel like there's a, again, 
just like a different way to discuss it that maybe at least helps us think that he's buying into it that we're not quite yeah. getting. I think at the very least we're going to see our strongest lineup because there's no reason not to. Like we we don't have another tight week like we did that one super tight week. It's going to be three days in between g- games again, and so it's we it's going to be Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday like it was this stretch of games. So we saw really strong lineups for all of those. There's no reason we shouldn't see it again this time. So I expect strongest lineup against Dallas. Um, who do you think that is? Do you think Danny or Pochettino? starts and then does Jean or Hector start? I'll see. I was my strongest lineup is the lineup that played awful against San Jose, I think. I think <laughs> I think it's Pochettino and uh Jean both. What how about you? Yeah, I'm I'm torn on it too. Um yeah, I honestly don't know. I I think I'll go I would go with Jean. Um just because of what he brings going forward. I mean, but Hector does well going forward as well. So honestly, I'm a coin flip. I don't care that much. If if Danny is playing well, I would take him over Pochettino. But on like a random night, like given the distribution over the, the course of the season, I might take Pochettino over him just because he seems to be a bit more solid defensively. All right, well, let's talk about some other Austin FC news fairly quickly. Uh, we got new salary numbers out. I think money wise, we're up to 15th in spending. And I don't remember where we were before, but it was, was very low. Very before. low. Yeah. Right. Bottom five or something. And obviously, GT and, and, and said in that in. moment, like, that's not going to be the same. And there's been some people, I won't name names here, but there's been some people who maybe want Austin FC to look a little worse than they are bringing that up a lot more often, saying, like, oh, they're last in spending. They just, it's like, they're not anymore. They're not last in spending. And if you're paying attention, you would know that. And numbers come out, and lo and behold, we're essentially middle of the pack, and, and spending goes. And once we fill out the ro- like the roster even more, we could move up another few spots just by having essentially a full roster or like a few more guys on the supplemental spots. So, um, yeah, that's not surprising to me. Um, then I guess the new numbers we did get were Drusi, Gta. Mackenzie Gaines and Owen Wolf. Is that all? Yeah, that, that would be they were the only people we've added since the midseason. Or not since midseason, but since the last set came out. Right. So let's go through real quick and just now that so like we had those numbers before, but didn't really have a full season to to judge them on. Let's go through real quick and just say who do we think is good business or bad business on Austin FC's part as far as the salary that goes. And I the reason I'm phrasing like that is I don't want to say overpaid or underpaid because if the player was able to negotiate that, then power to him, right. get that money. I don't want to criticize them for getting paid money. But on Austin FC's behalf, they're the ones who are paying them the money. So I will criticize that. Uh, so let's look at the DPs. So Driussi, Cecilio, Pochettino. Uh, do we think that's good business or bad business? I think it's good business. I think Juicy, who's he was like the fifteenth highest played player in the league. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's amazing business. If you look at the guys above him and their production, if you look at what his production is, I mean, uh, with the exception of like guys like Carlos Vela, but like he's producing in line with like top five, top six guys in salary. Yeah, I w- I was counting. I went through the top fifteen and was trying to count how many that I would take a straight swap for, 
uh, for Jerusi, and I think I counted like four or five of them. And the rest of them would be like, no thanks, we'll keep him. Uh, yeah. What about Cecilio? I think he's on 1.6 million, 1.7 million, something like that. I feel like he's ex- exactly performed in line with that. Like, I think he's, you know, he's had, he's above that sometimes and below that sometimes. And I think he's sort of exactly in line with what he's earning. Yeah, I I think it's hard to judge him, right? Because he was playing out of position all year. Um, in the last handful of games with a real number 10 next to him and playing in his most comfortable position, he's been pretty good for the most part. So uh, I think he could end up, I think a lot of people right now would say that he's overpaid for what we've seen from him this year. But uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of next season, we're saying like, actually, that's decent business right there. So we'll see. Um, Pochettino, I feel like, gets a lot of criticism for being quote unquote overpaid. But I think it's mostly because of the DP tag, right? Because he's not on that much money. It's like just over $600,000, right? Or maybe close to seven. Right. So yeah, he's, he's like less than... Yeah, Danny Houston, I think it lessened um Beasler. So yeah, it's He's just like the, the designation. Fifth or sixth yeah. highest paid player on the team. And so yeah, I think the designation draws the critique, but uh as far as like number to performance, it's not that out of line. I think he could be better, sure, but um as far as we're not paying him four million dollars to be that good. It's six hundred <laughs> right. something thousand. Right. Uh all right, Tam guys, Husin, that's an easy one, right? Like seven hundred and something thousand dollars for five below average games and then an injury. So that's not great business. Uh Alex Ring is on depending on performance bonuses, like probably just over a million, up to as much as like a million and a quarter. What do you think about that one? I think he's earned it. I I can't imagine this team without him. Uh because yeah. he plays such a he's such a that's the reason why he's a captain, right? He plays such an integral role. Um, and he's an impart, important part of like both the offense and the defense. And I don't know. I mean, this team is not great, but it, I don't know what they would be like without him doing what he does. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, most, Im- if, if not our best player for most of the season, our most important player for sure. Um, and then. Beasler's Beasler's there. Beasler's hard to read. You know, especially with the concussion, like which is the thing that you can't predict, and who knows what his future will be. I think he's probably better than I expected when we signed him. We got more out of him than I thought we would. Yeah, um, I and this is we'll talk about some of the younger guys in a second. With the younger guys, you're paying for potential, or like you're paying to keep them on your team for when they reach their potential. Because if you're not paying them enough or whatever, they're they might want to go somewhere else for a guy like Beasler. You're essentially part of what you're paying for is what he used to be. <laughs> and yeah. just like a big name, a big marketing tool, essentially that's what you're paying part of Beasler's salary for. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not, I don't think it's egregious, but if he can barely walk next year and we're still paying him that, I don't know if I'd be as happy about it. Um, some of the younger guys who are on some bigger money. So GTA is on $500,000. I, I felt like that was pretty fair. I mean, for a promising striker that you're bringing in to be your starter, I feel like 500 is more than fair. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. That was when we when we uh, when we signed him. And people were asking about, you know, why are we getting a guy you know gets like French League Two or whatever? And the answer is like if he if he was an accomplished striker in a top five league, he would be 
$20 million. You know, we couldn't right. afford him. So, like, what we're getting right. out of him at a potential, I think, is good. And the other guy that you have in here is Romagna. And I think the first time we talked about this, I would have had a very different answer about, I think I even said when we originally signed him that he must have a really good agent to get this much money um, for his production. But, I mean, over the last six or eight weeks, I've changed my opinion on that. Yeah, he's one of the ones I was referring to when I'm saying we're not paying the salary he deserves this year. We're paying the salary we hope he deserves next year. <laughs> uh, and then... What about Diego Fagundes? So Diego Fagundes has been extremely important to the team this year. He's at $400,000. Do you think that's too much or too little? I'm surprised it's as low as it is. Given given his track, his like 10 years of success in the league and with what we, you know, we, we heard out of what he wanted out of New England um and him talking about wanting to go somewhere that really wanted him. I'm I'm happy that we got him for what we what we pay him. Yeah, I agree. For his pedigree and like his experience in the league, I, he was on around three hundred thousand at New England, and I think he essentially wanted to at least negotiate for his salary and to be on a team that wanted him there and was going to uh, give him a chance to do to play a big part. And so Austin FC was able to give him a hundred thousand dollar raise, and he's been one of the most important players on the team all season. So I think he got what he was asking for, and. Maybe if if he had played this season and then was negotiating a contract, he would have gotten a little bit more. But I think given his track record over the last few years, he had a, a few down years. And you see young guys come in and, and they're hot for a few years and then kind of dip off and never really recover it. And so there was always a chance he was going to be that guy. And he's clearly not. But Austin didn't know that when they were negotiating that contract. So I think it's good business on both parts. Diego maybe could have gotten a little more money fighting to to go somewhere else or like pitting teams against each other. But I think he got what he wanted too, which was to be a part of a team that, that wanted him to be there and was going to kind of build around him. And he got his pay raise as well. So I think it's good business there. Um, who do you think are the best deals on the team salary-wise? Well, I think Brad Stuver's an easy one. Yeah, To absolutely. be the best deal on the team. But also, that's one where you talk about like good business or bad business. Like nobody expected Brad Stuver to right. be to be what Brad Stuver is. So if you look at like he he he's making exactly what you would expect that a guy with his pedigree would make going into this year, and so he's outperformed expectations and good for him. Yeah, he'll be one to watch in the off season, depending on how long his contract is. Because if they gave him a one year contract, maybe he he does get that that uh, payday coming up soon. But if it's two years, maybe that doesn't happen. We'll see. Um, Danny Pereira is on 90, 92,000, something like that. That seems like a really good deal to me based on the the highs we've seen from him. Uh, 99,000. Sorry, he's he's just under 100,000. And then is there anyone else? I put Gallagher on here with a question mark. He's yeah. he's on like a essentially senior minimum. Do we think that's fair or have we gotten more more production out of him than than what that that says i think he's a, i think he's the kind of guy that you need to break out but i mean i'm not surprised i mean it's that that seems fair um i think a couple other guys that um if you think about what we were expecting who we were expecting things from um that we haven't gotten anything you know much out of because of injury or whatever it's like ulysses segura was one i was you know that guy's he's on 240 like you can tell that clearly they were expecting him to be a contributor and it just it just hasn't worked out. And I only mention that because that seems like a thing that would give me hope for 2022, assuming that he's still around. It's like 
both he, I think, and Schoenfeld too are on decent money where, you know, they, they wanted something out of him and they aren't getting it. So hopefully when they, when they're back in the mix, we'll have more production just internally without having to go out and add new players. Yeah. I've, I've, like at the beginning of the season, we we're a lot of us were kind of expecting Segura to be a starter, at least in contingent, like in in the conversation for for starting. But I don't expect him to come in and be like a like a complete game changer. But there's lots of moments where we just needed somebody competent to come in yeah. and play some minutes. And I think at the very least, he can do that, if not significantly higher than that. But uh, yeah, it'll be really nice to have him and Ben Sweat back next season for sure. Yeah, if you think about just when we've needed somebody to come in and spell Alex Ring, you know, to give him a break in several different positions on the field, like a Galax Seguro would be perfect right. for doing that and not getting much of a drop off. So that's that's something, you know, I don't we haven't talked about a lot, but I think from seeing a salary, they were expecting something out of him. And so um hopefully that's a good sign for twenty twenty two. Any others that stood out one way or another to you? No, I think we covered them all. You know, the the keeper thing, you can clearly tell that we thought that Andrew Tarbell was going to be the starter and it ended yeah. up being Brad Stuver. There's a couple other spots like that. Sweat's another one where, you know, had he been healthy, you know, clearly he was going to be the guy. Um, I feel like we've talked, we've talked enough trash about Roddy Redis like all year long. <laughs> that we don't need to cover that. But hopefully at some point he shows some ability to live up to the potential that his salary would indicate. I think uh, another important thing to bring up when we're talking about salaries that we haven't mentioned in a long time on the show is um, Rodney Redes, Musa Jite, and Jean Kolmanich are our U22 initiative players. And so even though they're on higher salaries than what would count here, um, they're only counting, I think, $250,000 towards our salary budget. And so we're essentially getting only charging half of GTA's uh, salary towards our salary budget, which means we can spend that money on other players uh, in the meantime. So I think that's important to note when you're talking about these deals and uh, could end up being really important for, for the off season salary build or sorry, the off season roster build. Yep. That makes sense. So um, before we wrap up, let's talk about you going to uh, an event at the stadium last yes. week with the Butler brothers. Cause it sounded kind of interesting. Yeah. It was with an organization called, I believe it's AIGA, which is like a, a designers organization. And they in partnership with Austin FC and the Butler brothers uh, had this event in the, like the fanciest little club bar down field level at the stadium where like the players walked through it before the game and everything. And, uh, several employees from the Butler brothers were there kind of explaining the process of designing, uh, designing the branding for Austin FC. And we've had the Butler brothers on our show before we've heard this at various spots, but I, so I wasn't really sure what to expect, but they had some of their other employees there who were involved with it and told a bit more in-depth story than I had ever heard, uh, all the way to like their first kind of creative, um, meeting on it all wasn't just an internal one. They brought in soccer people from all like different parts of the community, former college players, people who were in the community that were just fans, uh, designers that they knew lots of different kinds of people all came together and did what they call a blitz and just kind of, let's just be creative with each other and bounce ideas off of each other. And so they split up into teams and they had each group 
uh, design, like they essentially started their own supporters group. And so it was like four or five different supporters groups got started that day. They're all fake, but they drew a scarf. Like, this is what our scarf is going to look like. And they made them write a chant and like, okay, this is a chant that we would do. And it was mostly like kind of silly stuff, but like stuff that was like leading in a direction very clearly. And I thought that was like one of the, the really cool parts to see was how much of this stuff that that they kind of latched onto early on that the butlers latched onto early on and they were using it for inspiration, right? They didn't tie it necessarily tie it in directly to the branding, but now that like over the last few years, when real supporters groups are popping up, some of the stuff that these people were, were talking about in this room came to fruition and by no like real links, it wasn't like, Oh, this is what we talked about in this meeting. Like none of the people involved with making these things were there. And I think it just goes to like how, like how well it's all developed just naturally. And like the butlers, how good of a job the butlers did at like tapping into like, what is this community? What does this community want? What could it be? What is its potential? And what is the brand that's going to, going to represent that? And it was just really cool to see all of the, like the parallels popping up in different spots. And one thing that, I thought was really interesting was, um, I mean, whenever the the logo came out, my thoughts on it was that essentially it's like the name specifically Austin FC was that it's an inoffensive name that nobody is going to hate. And therefore you can build your branding onto. And they like, they essentially said that outright, like said, like, yeah, there was several other names. We had it down to about five and, we're doing focus groups and asking people about it. And there were other names that people absolutely loved, but those same names, other people absolutely hated. <laughs> and that was always going to be the case with almost any name and especially with like the mascot ones. Right. And so I think Austin FC, although maybe it's not the most exciting, it is a blank canvas for the community to then come and kind of paint their story onto, which I think has already started to happen and will continue to happen over the years to come. But uh, overall it's a really cool event that I, I wasn't sure if I was going to get anything out of it and then absolutely did. Yeah. I think that's a testament to the, like the genius of the, like the process and the way that those guys know Austin, because they're not soccer people. Right. Like I'm guessing they yeah. knew nothing, basically nothing other than like all of us like played as kids or whatever, you know, but like they didn't know anything about the game or the culture or any of that probably to begin with, you know, and sort of through this creative process, we're able to draw this out. So it's really cool. I'm glad you got to, I'm glad you got to go do that. That sounds like a really uh, neat opportunity. And hopefully at some point, I think, you know, we'll see the rejected logos and rejected yeah. names. When we get a few Might years down the road, or, yeah, <laughs> we get a few years down the road and Austin FC is firmly set in and has like lived its promise out. Maybe we'll see. Um, maybe we'll see what we could have been, but I, I hadn't thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense. Um, so shirts, I have, I have some shirts in my trunk. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should tell people about that. Yeah. So the if anybody pre-ordered a Moon Tower soccer shirt, I now have them in my possession. Jeremiah has some of them in his possession. We're going to start the delivery process soon. Uh, I say delivery process and not mailing process because for some reason we decided we're going to actually like hand deliver most of these. It sounded like a good idea at the time and now I'm kind of questioning it, <laughs> but we've already thrown our hats over the fence. So 
this is what we're doing. And so if you see a bearded man driving up to your house and leaving a bag on your porch, it's probably just us delivering your Moon Tower soccer shirt. <laughs> yeah, I think we decided we wanted to keep the shirt price low. And I don't know why we thought it was a good idea for us to do the work. But anyhow, we love everybody and we want to deliver them <laughs> cards and stickers and shirts. Yeah, so we got to see him out in the wild. Uh, Adam Butler, I actually gave him one at that event and he was wearing it at the game the other day. Ashley wore one to the game the other day and got some compliments on it. So they look really sharp. I think you're all going to be very happy with them. But uh, yeah, we will have them in your hands shortly. All right, anything else before we finish up, Jeremiah? No, let's close it out. All right. We'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And then if you want to continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter at Elviahero87 and jbentley underscore ATX. And then at Moon Tower Soccer, both on Twitter and Instagram. And then also visit the Striker Texas website. Uh, what should folks look for this week, Jeremiah? Well, we talked a little bit about this. Uh, Phil has an exclusive interview with Phil West, for those of you that don't know. For some reason, I think if you're listening to this point, you probably know who Phil is. <laughs> but uh, he has his uh, exclusive interview with Josh Wolf, where he talks a little bit more about Copa Tejas, addresses the question about whether they're, the team quit. And then I believe Phil teased further installments of this Josh Wolf interview that have not come out yet. But definitely check that out. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will review this FC Dallas match, hopefully talk about Austin winning Copa Tejas, and then we'll preview the final two matches of the year. I can't believe it, but the final two matches, which is midweek game against Kansas City and then the final road game in Portland. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Muchas gracias. Bye, bye.